0: It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is back with Security News and Answers to 10 of your questions. It's all next on Security Now. Netcasts you love
1: from people you trust.
0: This, this is Twitch. Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 352, recorded May 9th, 2012. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 143. Security Now is brought to you by GoToAssist. Working in IT can be complicated. That's why I recommend GoToAssist by Citrix. With GoToAssist, you can take control of your IT world from one simple cloud-based platform. Provide live or unattended support to all your users anywhere. Sign up for a 30-day free trial today at assist.com. Click the Try Free button and use the offer code SECURITY. And by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code SECURITYNOW5. And now they offer free domain registration with annual plan subscriptions. All right, turn on your modem, tune in your router, fire up your browsers, ladies and gentlemen, it's time. (laughs) And get under your (laughs) desk. For security now, thanks to PWR for writing my intro today in our chat room. Uh, Steve Gibson, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, the explainer-in-chief
1: is here. Hey, Steve. Steve. I we've got it all bundled together in one. Yeah, one, one yeah expletive. One giant
0: expletive description. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Steve is a is a security whiz at GRC.com. He writes Spinrite, the world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, and uh, he uh, is here to answer questions today. This is Q and A number one four three.
1: Right, you dragged me over here to give our listeners some feedback. Mm. Or they've given us some feedback. Hey, we're going yeah. to feed it right back to them. Exactly. Boy, I t- you know, there were
0: some interesting articles this week about security. Wired Magazine had a wonderful article in the uh, uh, their threat level blog. I don't know if you saw it. That said, basically, everybody's been hacked. It's all over. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Actually, I saw that go by, and I just said, Ah, okay, fluff.
0: Uh, well, it wasn't fluff. It was basically the it, no. It was, it was quite a good article, and it was basically the premise that even though no one wants to admit it or say anything, uh, the truth is, pretty much anybody who is worth hacking has been hacked. Uh, it's, it's kind of the, some of the stuff we've we've talked about, which is it's a it's impossible to write perfect code.
1: Yep, security is porous inherently. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really 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 hard and. The cost goes up exponentially as you increase security linearly. And and uh, what the point was, and I thought this was actually pretty
0: accurate, was that there's conventional security wisdom, and, and most people res- charged with uh, keeping uh, their you know uh, web servers or their their business secure just do what's it's kind of like you can't. If you just do what everybody else does, then you have plausible deniability. You say, "Well, I'm doing what everybody else does, so uh, it's not my fault." And the problem is that the
1: conventional kind of wisdom is insufficient these days. Well, and remember the old, you know, in the early days of the computer industry, it was the the, the phrase was nobody ever got fired for choosing IBM. It's exactly the same mindset.
0: Yep. Which is, it's a it's a little tough. This is Kim Zeller writing uh, May 4th. Everyone's been hacked, now what? It's a little tough, uh, you know, if you're in the, the IT business, to, you know, to be really a security expert. Just do what everybody else does. Ah, eh, you're off the hook. You can't, nobody can complain because you've done everything. And there, so they talk about Oak Ridge Lab being spearfished. There's a picture of Dan Kaminsky who said there's been a deep conservatism around. This is Kaminsky, the guy who wins that pwn to own every time. He says, do what everyone else is do- doing, whether it works or not. It's not about surviving. It's about claiming you did due diligence. Wow. That's good if you're trying to keep a job, but it's bad if you're trying to solve a technical problem. That sounds like almost something like you would say. Yeah, he's, I agree with him completely. Yeah. He says, no one knows how to make a secure network right now. There's no obvious answer that we're just not doing because we're lazy. Simply installing firewalls, intrusion detection systems, keeping antivirus signatures up. to date won't cut it anymore. Since most companies never know they've been hit until someone outside the firm tells them, <laughs> um, so you know. It, I guess the, the the point of the article is: well, okay, so let's acknowledge this. Now, what do you do? You yeah, how, how do you? What is the? What is the appropriate response? And basically, this it's a constant battle, as we've yeah. said. Uh, th- there's no, there's no magic bullet. There's no, sec- there's no ultimate security protection um we've just got to constantly manage the risk assess the risk
1: and do the best we can yeah there are there are too many potential ways in and those ways in are all for the bad guys are also being used for good purposes and so it's these you know the these 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 ways in like like you know visiting a site that runs that runs some script that you want to have run because you want the services that the script provides. But in the process, there's a a sneaky way, for example, to to abuse subtle characteristics. In fact, we're going to talk about the the recent iOS update to 5.1.1, which Mm -hmm. Apple just released, Mm -hmm. which fixes a couple problems just like this. And we've talked about them all in in other contexts, like cross-site scripting, where you can, you know, really clever people can figure out how to get their code to run with your browser believing it's the code of the site you're visiting, which it gives permission to, yet you're running malicious code in this other site's context. And, you know, I mean, these are these are difficult things. It, it's really hard to, to get all this right. I would say we're... I'm really seeing progress. I mean, I think for example, gone are the days where most people think they can use their mother's maiden name as their password throughout the entire yes. internet. Yes. And that'll be enough. It just, you know, so And yet, you know, I mean,
0: I don't know, it's not in your notes, so I don't know if you saw it, you probably didn't, just excited to forget it. We just learned that there has been a flaw for three months in OS 10 lion that allows anybody to execute a simple terminal command and change anybody's password including the sysadmins that right. there's another flaw that's been around uh, for for a couple of months that lets that logs your password in the clear <laughs> um, there's 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 holes in PHP we just learned about another hole in the CGI version of PHP. Um, it's just it's it's never ending. And then there's somebody just released 55,000 Twitter passwords
1: and login accounts today. It yep. just is never ending. Yep. And it it's again, it's the systems, the way we design these, they are so complicated that it's why I shudder every time new code comes out. And it's why I'm on, you know, like I hang back, right. like really back because new is not better. In, in security. New is just a whole bunch of new opportunities for problems. And, you know, we see it over and over and over is that that all, it takes a long time to sort through and find the problems in new stuff. You're You're just you're going to have them. So, you know, unless it's something you really need. I say, well, if, if what you've got is working, stay there because at least bad. it's a known quantity.
0: Because geeks like me, we just we can't wait till the upgrade comes out.
1: And Leo, <laughs> this show is all about helping you pull the arrows out of your back. Uh, yeah, I know what you so mean. Well, let's let's that. get
0: going. We've got a couple of advertisements. Actually, let me do one now, and then we could talk yep. about uh, Patch Tuesday the, uh, and uh, and. Uh, Apple had a patch too for i o s which apparently is one you want to upgrade to. We'll talk about oh, yes, yes, I just it's a big one that took an hour for me to get it yeah, yeah, uh, but first, let's talk about go to assist brand new logo. I like this uh, new logo here go, but that's because go to assist is is changing improving go to assist dot com is the site if you want to find out more about it. they've got some let me just see if we're talking about the new thing yet, yeah, but we are there's some new stuff in here. Uh, if you work in IT you know you know <laughs> what a, what a challenge it is to be the IT guy or gal GoToAssist lets you could take control of your IT world on a cloud-based platform Now we've talked a lot about GoToAssist and its remote support but now GoToAssist has added some really sweet stuff and we what we did is we gave it to um, we gave it to Russell our IT guy and he's been using it. And, in fact, I've been using it to manage remotely uh, our servers and so forth. And it's so cool. It is, it is more than just remote access now. it is You can do surveys, dashboards, displaying performance of all networks, servers, and desktop. There's proactive alerting. So, for instance, the, our printer told Russell that we were low on toner. That's before he gets the call. He goes and fixes it. It makes you a support hero because you fix the problem before it happens, before they even know it's happening. Um, support plug in support for virtually everything on the network. Um, this is a whole, really a whole new go to assist. And I, if you've taken a look at go to assist before and consider it a remote access solution, uh, I, it's more than remote support. It is. Mo- it is. It is for companies that IT companies that want to become managed service providers remote support monitoring or both for people and machines live and unattended support of course monitor your IT infrastructure this is a big part of your security solution as well go to assist is brand new and wonderful and if you haven't tried it lately i want you to right now visit the website go to assist.com the Try It Free button is that blue button, the 30-day trial. Click there in the, in the bottom left there. See that button right there? Go to Try It Free and use the offer code SECURITY, all right? SECURITY. Uh, this is so huge. This is such... Actually, I guess you have to click a button that says promo code. It doesn't give it to you by default. So make sure you do that and you type in the promo code SECURITY so that Steve gets credit for this. The new go assist is spectacular. We've been using it. We kind of got a pre release version and we've been using it for months. And I've been using it and I am just so excited. For briefly, they were thinking about calling it Go to Manage because it's so much more. Uh, but I think they decided well, everybody knows the Go to Assist brand. The only drawback to that is yeah, you know the Go to Assist brand, but you might think this is remote support. It's so much more, remote monitoring too. Go to assist.com. Try it, please. If you're in IT, you know, it, it, Russell's basically I think a two or three man shop and they have 855 clients. How do you do it? This. This is the key. Absolutely amazing. Go to assist.com. The offer code is security. All right, Steve, let's uh, We've got questions, I see, but let's dig into the security news before we go any further with that.
1: Yeah, well, we are on the other side of the second Tuesday of the month, so everyone Yay. knows what that means. It means that it's time to update our machines with Microsoft's latest fixes yes. to uh, things that they have found. This time, uh, we have 23 vulnerabilities which are fixed in web browsing, file sharing, and email. Eight of those 23 were rated critical, which, as we know, means that no intera- u- no user interaction is required for hacking to result from the exploitation of these vulnerabilities. At least three of them have been circulated publicly before their release. So that's always sort of, sort of something to keep an eye on. Um, and interestingly, the one that Microsoft considers most critical is their MS-12-029, which, which updates the patch they did last year for... The Dooku worm, remember that that was regarded as maybe a relative to Stuxnet, which was the one that famously worked on the process control systems in Iran to mess up their centrifuges. Um, Dooku was believed to be derived from the same code, thus from the same authors. Microsoft fixed the one patch that it was that that it was known to be using, but then they realized, ooh, we're that the same problem exists in a bunch of our other stuff. So this 029 patch fixes Windows, Office.net, and Silverlight, all that shared the same vulnerability. So anyway, this is one you know you'd want to update as you normally would all of these things from Microsoft. Um also shockwave moves forward for those people who care i mean i understand that you know sometimes it's necessary there's gaming that is done with shockwave player on the web but our standard advice stands which is get rid of it if you know you don't need it yeah maybe if you even don't know that you need it it's not the same as flash it's like predates flash correct it's the exactly different from that um i'll just quote briefly from adobe's page they said adobe released a security update for adobe shockwave player Eleven point six point four point six three four and earlier versions. So if you're earlier than the point six three four, you want to update. They said for this is for Windows and Mac. This update addresses vulnerabilities that could allow an attacker who successfully exploits those vulnerabilities to run malicious code on the affected system. So again, it's one of these remote takeover kind of things where you just go to a site and if you've got Shockwave, fla- Shockwave player installed, and the site is malicious, this, is, this provides an entry that your browser doesn't provide by itself. It's the add-on that, that creates a, a door that the bad guys can use. So they recommend updating to .635 um, if, if you know that you've got Shockwave player. Don't install it if you don't have it, but if you need it, keep, you want to keep it up to date, which is you know, standard advice for all of these browser add-ons. Now, Microsoft, Microsoft, Apple did just release a an update to iOS five across all their platforms. It took me um, with my over my two T ones with three gigs download about an hour, a full hour to get this thing. And what's annoying, I'm assuming this is going to be the same, is that you have to do a different one for your Wi-Fi only iPad versus your your 3G or 4G or LTE iPad versus your touch versus your phone. So, you know, if you're like me, and I'm sure like you, Leo, and we have all of these things, it's like, you know, every single one of them needs a whole blob to be downloaded and and installed. So you only get to save that if you have a couple of the same things. So it's a little bit annoying, but it's important. Um, This fixes three, well, first of all, when you, I got a kick out of it because when I did this on my Mac earlier today, up comes a window and talks about all the happy little things they're fixing. You know, it's like seven or eight little improvements. Then it sounds like, oh, that's all good. What they don't tell you at all there is that there's an address bar spoofing problem in all iOS prior to 5.1.1 where Site X could redirect you to site Y, but make it look make it look as though you'd gone to site Z. So essentially, if you it, it, it's it's a it's an address bar spoofing problem, and that's not good because a lot of us, I mean, who are security aware and just sort of you know web aware, we're just looking to make sure we went where we intended to and and where the indicator thought we were. But there's a way for for the address bar to be spoofed, which is fixed in 5.1.1. Another problem that we've discussed extensively in the past is only now fixed, this particular one, is a cross-site scripting problem. So where you're visiting one site, and as I was mentioning earlier in the show, code sucked in from a different domain could execute in in the so-called security context of the site you're visiting, you want that you want the site you're visiting's code to be able to do what it wants, but you don't want some other domain to do that. That is cross-site scripting. And for example, that would mean that that other site could access your cookies for the site you're visiting, and things like if you're logged into a site, as we know, the way login happens typically is there's a token. That authenticates you, which is being sent back with every query well you know that 's what Fire Sheep famously was able to grab in before sites began began running exclusively over sSL to lock that behavior down but this kind of cross site scripting problem even penetrates that so that that this this third the third party site would be able to get the tokens that you that, that are tied into the first party site, even if you're running over SSL. So that's not good. And then finally, they fixed a remote code execution problem where a maliciously crafted web page could crash your browser in such a way that it ends up running program code that was embedded in the page. That you know that's a, a less elegant um hack of your system you'd like it to be more transparent like you know not crash your browser but still it's like you know actually I'm sure all of us who have been using iPads from the beginning see our apps crash from time to time you're just sure. doing something and it goes bloop just yeah. kind of goes away yeah it and it's like yeah. oh yeah, yeah exactly it's like oh okay you know, well, yeah yeah <laughs> so anyway time to update iOS it's not a you know plan for However, your download speed is. I, I, how long did it take you with massive pipes? Well, uh,
0: I do it differently than you did it. You obviously used okay. iTunes to do it. Yes, so I you did. can now do over-the-air uh, down uh, updates, and those are delta mm-hmm. updates. So if you do it, uh, you want to plug in your phone or your iPad uh, or your iPod, and uh, and then just go to the uh, the settings and say uh, go to you know in, in the settings uh, general yep. updates. It will do it for you, and it's oh, much cool. faster if you do it that way.
1: And uh, Wi-Fi and uh, cellular, both or Wi-Fi only. It'll do
0: either, but I would, suge- I would suggest getting <laughs> on the Wi-Fi uh, yeah. unless you unless you uh, don't have uh, anywhere close to the you know cap. But uh, uh, it's pre- I think it's considerably faster. The, the problem is that I, for some reason iTunes doesn't do deltas. I, apparently, it downloads the whole um, image, which is almost a gigabyte. So, yeah, it would be a lot better just to download the changes, uh, and Apple recently implemented that, but apparently it's only for the over-the-air downloads.
1: Yeah, and I have, I did update for the last one. I updated that way, and I just sort of, it I didn't, didn't occur to me, attention. It would, this to be different. Right. Yeah, so, just yeah, yeah, so good, I'm yeah. going to do the rest of them that way. Yeah. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, the advent of DNS crypt from OpenDNS has generated huge enthusiasm from our audience it was initially only available for the Mac. And I am pleased to announce, thanks to Gavin Groom, who tweeted me from the UK, uh, a heads up that um, it is now available for Windows. So OpenDNS users who like the idea of having their DNS encrypted are, now can install it for Windows. There was some hack when it was in beta, which uh, we, we talked about briefly. Now it's official. So, the reason this is significant is that we've it DNS is like a little privacy leakage that we really haven't focused on maybe enough because we keep talking about SSL and setting up crypto and having you know having everything you're doing in a tunnel that is that is encrypted that no one can get into, and that's cool and important, except DNS, as we all know, is the way our browsers Get the IP address for the domains that we're then going to go into this secret. You know, lower the cone of silence over ourselves with. For those who remember, get smart back in the old days. Um, except the <laughs> DNS has no encryption, so even if you were using, if you were in a mode where you were in a in an open Wi-Fi and smug that all your services you were using were carefully, you know, forced to be over SSL or natively over SSL. Uh, One little glitch is that anytime your browser looks up any domains, not just the primary domain you're visiting, but remember, many domains now bring stuff in from all corners of the globe, all of those domain names are being sent out to the DNS server in the clear. So what so there's a privacy leakage. They're not seeing the data, but they are knowing that that your machine is asking for the IP addresses of this whole set of domains. And that depending on what you're doing in that setting, that may make you feel uncomfortable. So to some fanfare, OpenDNS has has uniquely, of, of all DNS services, created their own, their own encrypted tunnel between your machine when you install the matching client on your side and their service so that all queries get encrypted as they go, as they say, over the wire or through the air uh, to grandmother's house, uh, over to uh, DNS and back. So now for Windows. Um, just yesterday, the Wi-Fi Alliance, uh, who brought us (laughs) the fabulous WEP, the fabulous fabulous WPS, the (laughs) fabulous, what else have they ruined? All these wonderfully secure technologies. Uh, And I shudder at this. I think, oh goodness, they have not learned their lesson. Anyway, they're all excited about their next drop of update called Passpoint, we touched on this a few weeks ago. Uh, not much was known. Yesterday, they dropped the announcement that they will begin authenticating uh, and verifying equipment to be Passpoint compliant. Also, there's something called Hotpoint, or I think it's Hotpoint 2.0 that this is part of, starting in, ju- in the summer, July of this year, hoping for a 2013 rollout. Now, what this promises is that sort of a way of offloading cellular bandwidth to the ubiquitous hotspots, free hotspots, in a way that is less hassle for users. You know, when you typically need to use uh, a free Wi-Fi hotspot, like Starbucks, for example, um, there's some sort of a login screen And you've got to go, yes, you know, sort of agree to the terms and services there. Um, It's never very seamless. I find that it's always in the way so that I just don't try. I don't use, you know, Wi-Fi at Starbucks. I stay on cellular. And, And that's the point is that that hassle keeps people on cellular. And, of course, the carriers, the cellular carriers would much rather you switched over yeah. away from their bandwidth over to landline bandwidth that, that you know, is less expensive and, and less burdensome for them. So the concept is that your there would be some sort of new authentication cycle where your phone's unique ID, be it SIM card or hardwired, you know, 25,000 character, you know, ID that these things have, would be... Included in an authentication loop and the 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 spec for this is $200. So I haven't bit the bullet yet and to, to buy it as I did the WPS spec because I had to tell everybody about exactly how it worked and, and how it was broken. There's a white paper also that is free that I've not gone over yet because, you know, this hasn't happened yet. Also, this is not going to be a small change and it it's not going to happen overnight. The problem is we have a huge install base of, of hardware for hotspots, which all need to get upgraded. This is not a you know a simple change. This is probably a, a, the least, or the the least would be a firmware change. And it's not clear whether this is authentic, authenticating you and encrypting your connection. That is, is it WPS or WPA two? You know, what is it? Is and, they it don't, and they don't say. It's just all, you know, I mean, they even say mobile authentication could use your SIM card. It's like, well, you know it's going to. Why do you say could? <laughs> no, anyway, it's just, you know, it's, it is, th- this Wi-Fi alliance is the biggest example of committee design. I think it's also anything. more
0: marketers than technologists, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's about I mean, marketing.
1: Why other? Why else would I be paying two hundred dollars to have a specification, which right. you know, we, we, which you want people to have in order to implement something good? It's like right. okay, right. they have the marketers have salaries that need to get paid. So anyway, I just wanted to say that as moving forward, we will certainly keep an eye on it. It's going to be critical. I, I mean, at some point in the future, we'll be talking about it seriously, but it's not going to happen overnight. No rollout until next year sometime, and even then. Probably slowly, so you know uh, we'll again see how it goes. Now, yesterday, Firefox fixed a- another memory leak. This is sort of a constant battle for them. Um, they're they've they've moved beyond their own code though, and they're now looking at the behavior of sloppy add-ons. the The sandboxing technology that Firefox uses has the add-ons loading in what's called the Chrome privilege zone. So Chrome's own UI interface is written in JavaScript. The add-ons run in there. And then Chrome and the add-ons together sort of reach out into the other domain sandboxes for containment and the problem is that if if pages are shut down that had resources allocated to them they weren't always being freed so on the mozilla.org bugzilla page there's a bug 695480 which is just got resolved and the, the from that in the summary the 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 guy who fixed this said add-on authors probably don't need to bother changing anything. I should mention they're very bullish about this. this is they, they regard what they've managed to do, essentially fixing the problem without the add-ons needing to fix as like a real step forward. They said add-on authors probably don't need to bother changing anything unless they see breakage from what we've done. Breakage should be pretty rare, and the huge upside of avoiding leaks will be worth it. It's a little early to be sure what efforts, well, I'm sorry, what effects this will have, but the amount of leaks we see on our test suite dropped by 80%. I expect that this change will also fix a major a majority of the add-on leaks we see without any effect on the part of the add-on authors. So th- this is still not in the release chain yet. This is in the development chain, but we'll I'm sure this will get pushed out uh, soon because uh, I have heard uh, I think it 's fifteen is now they 're out there somewhere I think i 'm on thirteen if if I remember right because we, we moved I, either I went from eleven to twelve or twelve to thirteen but anyway' there 's sort of a string of these major versions that that, that Mozilla is putting out now they're they 're moving fast and they really are yeah, you know updating it, which is a good thing. I have major news about buffer bloat. Um, Jim Getty, who was the individual credited with coining the term and who produced that neat video that we referred to months ago when we did the episode on buffer bloat, he blogged about a paper that was just released by two network researchers. As a Dr. Katie Nichols who submitted a paper which is going to be published this summer in the, the journal called the ACM Q association for for computing machinery her co-author was none other than van jacobsen who is known as the designer of tcp so he knows something about these problems so uh, jim uh, getty said that they uh, they they published an article which was entitled controlling Q delay um uh, and their Essentially, they have developed a new algorithm. Uh, it's the name is C O D E L, and it's pronounced coddle. Unfortunately, but you know maybe not. Maybe that works because you're coddling TCP to help it works. Um, coddle is people, people. The reason people are excited about it is, I mean, it's like the holy grail of queue management. It's a novel, no knobs, just works handles variable bandwidth and round-trip time and simple adaptive queue management algorithm. To to quote from the article that that uh, that uh, Kathy, it's it's Kathy, by the way, Kathy Nichols. I think I said Katie before. Kathy Nichols and Van Jacobson wrote, they said, in the decades since, many researchers have made strides in adaptive queue management, but no one has produced an adaptive queue management algorithm ...that has the following characteristics, which theirs does. It is parameterless. It has no knobs for operators, users, or implementers to adjust. It treats good queue and bad queue differently. That is, it keeps the delays low while permitting bursts of traffic. It controls delay. While insensitive to round-trip delays, link rates... And meaning wire speed and traffic loads. It adapts to dynamically changing link rates with no negative impact on utilization. And that's significant because one of the problems people have seen at home is with Wi-Fi connections where the, the link rate over the, over the air is dynamically scaling as a function of your connection quality. So that that's can confuse things a lot. If you're doing things and you move around a little bit, even just a few inches or or you know, turn, if your if your connection quality drops, your link rate changes and you've you've already trained up your TCP connections for one link rate, suddenly it changes, they don't adapt well. So this fixes that. It is simple and efficient. It can easily span the spectrum, low-end Linux-based access points and home routers up to high end commercial router silicon and coddle's algorithm is not based on queue size queue size averages queue size thresholds rate measurements link utilization drop rate or queue occupancy time i mean it's, it's, so it's not like you know uh time in queue which which some recent approaches have had so i mean d- this is very exciting it's sol- it sounds like they've solved the problem um there is an implementation for the Suro WRT build, which is a an offshoot from the open WRT. Uh, anyone who's interested can go to bufferbloat.net. That's the site where this work is being focused on. People are working with early uh, r- releases of code uh, to implement this. I expect we'll see rapid progress. And... Uh, looking around at people who have had a chance to study this, I have not yet gone into detail. Uh, the paper is available, um, probably linked from Bufferbloat.net. Uh, from but you can get it from the um, ACM site as a as a web page or PDF that's got pretty pictures and shows buffers and things. Uh, uh, once I figure out what it is, I will simplify it and, and tell everybody. But I'm excited because I'm seeing people saying. This could solve the problem. Like, okay, is it, um, is this <laughs> this is a modification to TCP to the protocol? No, and, and that's what's so beautiful. This is a modification to the buffering. How that, the, that is the buffering the, algorithm? Yes, because we really can't change TCP. Right. You know, I mean, if if we wanted to, it, oh boy, talk about you know rolling out, uh, you know, new access points being slow. You know, I mean, TCP is in everything already. So the beauty is this is this would be a, a essentially a change to routers. So firmware updates or, you know, throw away your forty nine dollar blue plastic box and get another one. And suddenly your network will run a lot more robustly at home. So, so we'll, we'll start looking
0: that, for a <laughs> uh, coddle on the box, C-O-D-E-L or A-Q-M, which is really what this is, is queue management.
1: Well, but there are other AQMs, like we talked about, random early detection, right. where as the, Q, as the as the buffers began to get full, they would start throwing away randomly packets. And so the chances were that the hogs would statistically have more of their packets discarded than the non-hogs. Right. And so, I mean, so much time has gone into this, but it, it really sounds as though it wasn't until the, it really, like, like the, the pressure got cranked up. That some really smart people who really understand the 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 history of all of this problem sat down and said, "Okay, we got to figure this out." And I think Coddle does, from, from everything that they have written, it, they've they've got a solution. So it's going to be very cool. So yeah, I would say, you know, we'll we'll fig- we'll keep an eye on it, see what the um, the marketers call this. I mean, Coddle is like, okay, well, I <laughs> wish we could have had a really cool name, but you know. Cool. At least it's not awful. <laughs> cool. This is great. Yeah. Good um, news. I did want to mention that uh, I have a new twit uh, handle, a new Twitter channel that I created in order to move my health stuff off of F- SGGRC. Um, there have been a lot of people that have been tweeting since you and I did this special on Sunday. Some are asking where did, where is it? Where can they go to get it's it? It's out now. Yes. Yes. Uh, And part two is Sunday. Yes, we're going to do a second half. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, my new uh, Twitter handle for anybody who wants to follow that is SGVLC and not instead of GRC, it's VLC for very low carb. So SGVLC is where I will uh, tweet stuff of interest to people who are interested in that so that I'm not clogging up. My regular SGGRC with such traffic. And you haven't tweeted there yet. Nope. But you will. But, of course, Uh, people can go to
0: grc.com slash health. There's a lot of information there. And then uh, the special that we did on Sunday is available in our specials feed. We didn't put it on the security now feed because it's not security. It's a special. So twit.tv slash specials. It's the most recent one, episode 124, The Sugar Hill. And part two... This one's going up the Sugar Hill. Part two, going down the Sugar Hill, is is next Sunday, two to three p.m. Pacific, five to uh, six p.m. Eastern time, twenty one hundred UTC on twit. Yes,
1: we squeeze it in between your tech guy pot your your tech guy radio program and your recording of the of your Sunday Twitch show.
0: Yeah,
1: Uh, and so we'll do that again. I as you mentioned, there are now a bunch of health related pages. Um, well, I've, already ha- I've always had that vitamin D page up since the summer of '09, when we did the vitamin D podcast. Um, I'm now adding a bunch more with the references to the books that you and I have read and like and a bunch of other resources. So grc.com slash health. Uh, and everyone will be able to find those things there.
0: And I've been skimming this Rosedale Diet book you recommended, uh, which I ordered as soon as you
1: recommended it. It's fantastic. I'm very excited. Yes. Yeah. It really is. It's yeah. – I, I did read it cover to cover, except I skipped the recipes because okay, – You eat I out. At, yes, exactly. <laughs> We're going to get you cooking, Steve. I, actually, I I – have sent a note to Jenny um, and said, you know, there there may be a day when I'm when I'm cooking for us. And I she think you should. Wrote back,
0: ah ha ha! Some of the fun <laughs> of this, frankly, uh, for me, has always been uh, doing doing the cooking, and then you know what's in it. Yes. And then you know what what oils it, are used and everything,
1: and you can really exactly. make you know. Exactly. Yeah. They even so, have
0: a healthy version of granola in
1: here. Yeah, and this guy gets it. He's been. I mean, it it it. What I like about Ron Rosedale's book is. Uh, he's been, he's been involved in this for decades and it's an, it's like applied. It's the practical manual where, but I, you know, I want all the science and all the biochemistry first. And in fact, I was waving this book uh, in front of the camera before we began recording my (laughs) organic and biological chemistry textbook that I, that I, it's the only thing I could find that actually showed the actual chemical processes for doing some of the things that I was talking about last Sunday, and we'll be going into more detail in next Sunday, uh, you know, because I, you know, for me, I want to, I just don't, don't want to take it for granted. The scientific method is verification and, and multiple sourcing and, you know, really, you know, and not, not just, you know, third person hearsay, but, you know, what, how exactly does this stuff work? And I think that's, if if I bring any value to these, that's what it is. It's that it's not the same thing you can find anywhere else. So, it's fascinating stuff. Um, I do have an interesting spinwright story that I ran across. We've never discussed this before and it'll ought to get everyone's attention because it's it's something unusual. Um, from a Bob England who wrote on April 23rd, he said, Hi, Steve, I'm a long-time listener to Security Now and long-term op OP, which he says stands for Other People's SpinWrite user. I have to admit, I've often borrowed other people's copies of SpinWrite to keep my own hard drives working well. When I used to work as an IT support tech, I used to recommend SpinWrite to all my clients. Some purchased it, some did not. Well, Bob, I would say you've 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 helped me out, so I appreciate that. Over the past couple of weeks I noticed that my PC was beginning to just not feel right. I'm used to how my PC feels during what part of certain actions I will notice hard drive activity, and so on and so forth. Windows started to take longer to boot up. File transfers from one hard drive to another were getting slower, and apps were often not responding. Then last Friday, Windows BSOD'd and refused to boot into anything other than recovery mode and could not find usable partitions. I thought enough was enough and I decided it was time I actually got around to purchasing my own copy of Spinrite, so I did. I ran Spinrite and saw the estimated completion time was 1,028 hours, exclamation point. He said, I know that Spinrite can take a long time, but instead of just leaving it, I looked at the other screens to see if there was something important that I should take note of. Sure enough. In the stats screen, I saw large numbers of cabling errors. The SATA cables I was using were the ones that came with my motherboard, so I thought they should be okay. I checked to make sure they were seated correctly, and they were. I purchased new SATA cables and rerun Spinrite, and it did a complete scan of the drive in less than five hours. I wish I could say that I rebooted and everything was fine, but many of the Windows files were corrupted beyond repair. And I'll explain why when I finish reading his letter. Mostly due to the BSOD I am getting, the blue screen of death. And it's actually not, but again, I'll explain. However, Spinrite did manage to recover the files and sectors from the data drives where I store all the work I do for our charity of the 10 of the 5 terabytes ...of files that I have, including accounts and other extremely important information. But as, Spinrite had fixed drives, uh, but as Spinrite had fixed these drives, it meant I did not have to wait to re-download all my backups or copy over archives from DVDs. I'm now setting up a NAS with RAID to further protect the data. I was wondering if you had experience of bad SATA cables, particularly those that come with original motherboards. Also, does the length of the cable matter? I asked this because I have some very short SATA cables and was wondering if the principles of signal propagation apply to these. Also, one other question. Locus of control. In that, is that a typo or does Spinrite have a personality? I've only heard the term used in psychology. I've always assumed it was supposed to be focus of control, but now I'm not sure. Anyway, great show. And thanks for giving us Spinrite and all those other utilities, Bob England. So... This is interesting. Um, I show... check some transfer errors and label them... um, What did I call them? Cabling errors. Because that's all they can be in Spinrite. And it's uncommon. But, you know me, I'm pretty thorough. And when I was designing this, I thought, well, there are... There is a chance that... Because it's a simple checksum algorithm that errors could be occurring and going undetected. And that's what happened in this case. Um, the There is in the actual hardware between the, the the controller on the motherboard and the drive, there is a checksum generating process that verifies the transfer of data. This is different than... The ECC that the drive appends, it's different than any external checksums that are being applied. It's just essentially the cable. Did the data that left the controller get to the drive correctly? And so what happens is, after a packet of data arrives at the drive, it verifies the checksum and flags an error if it's wrong. But sadly... Nothing else in the world except Spinrite brings that to your attention. So what was happening was the drive was, this was all slowing down because many of these checksums errors were causing a retransmission over bad cables. Unfortunately, he had corruption because, again, it's a simple checksum. It's not like a good hash. That's just too algorithmic, too much algorithmic overhead. And this stuff is all, you know, dates back to 20 years before. So it is possible to have undetected transmission errors between your motherboard and your drive. This is really bad because the drive thinks everything was fine and writes the wrong data on to your drive. And the motherboard thinks everything is fine because the drive didn't say, whoa, I couldn't get that correctly. Send it to me again. So... Um to answer bob 's question about length i 'm always it is the case that shorter cables are theoretically better, probably in this day and age of digitization of everything it 's not as important i mean it would take a huge amount of noise like like lightning strikes in order to glitch these cables they are the 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 they 're differential in nature where there 's a plus and minus that are balanced. They're typically twisted so that any electromagnetic interference is received equally by both sides. So the difference doesn't change. That's what differential is all about. What happened, doubtless, is just some noise in the actual physical connection. The, The fingers are typically gold on gold because you don't want to generate resistance noise at that junction. But, you know, these are not soldered they're, they're not like, you know, screwed down tight. They're, they're a design, which is meant to be a compromise between convenience and quality. And in this case, that, that convenience compromise bit, um, Bob, all he probably had to do is just wiggle the, the, the connectors or pull them off and put them back on. That's something that Greg tells people to do all the time. You know, just pull, pull the connections off, reseat them in the process that wipes the contacts across each other and removes you know the grit or dust or maybe a little bit of oxide that forms and, and that's why we use gold is it doesn't t- it, it is resistant to oxidation in oxygen so uh something we have never talked about before but it's something that wow. can bite you and uh, it bit bob <laughs> this is, is why you're the you. hard,
0: this is why you're the hard drive expert <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We're going to uh, take a break when we come back. I have questions it's sitting in front of me, some great ones too, from uh, our audience. Ten questions from you, the listeners. But first, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Squarespace.com. Yes, you could hand code your website like Steve does using assembly language Still and do. IAS plugins. <laughs>
1: Or <laughs> I, write, I, wrote, I write my own iSappy plugin,
0: <laughs> or <laughs> you could do what most normal people do, and uh, get web hosting from a great company like Squarespace.com. In fact, I would submit this is where you want to get your hosting and your software. There's an advantage, you know. Uh, I've learned a lot about the difference between managed hosting and unmanaged hosting. We use, uh, you know, unmanaged servers. We're responsible for them and uh you know there's a uh, there's probably a lot more work that we really should be doing these are managed in other words squarespace maintains the security maintains the bandwidth maintains the hard drive you never even think about it uh hardware fails on your server don't worry they're using a a virtual server technology that just no problem boom switches it over uh, if you need a lot of bandwidth all of a sudden, no problem we'll just that just automatically fires up. It really is the best hosting, absolutely the best ever and because the software is tightly bound to the hosting you don 't ever have to worry about patches or updates you 're always secure. This is really as long as we 're talking security, the securest way to have a website squarespace dot com you get the hosting. You get the software, and great software it is. And now they'll even do the domain name for you when you subscribe to a year-long plan. When you when you buy a Squarespace website, you'll get free domain registration. They'll do the setup so it points right to your site, and uh, they'll give you the first year of your uh, registration. Squarespace is fantastic. I want you to try it free. This is this is really they believe in their product so much that they have this big green "Try It Free" right on the front page. You press that button. All you need to provide, no credit cards needed, no no personal information except your name, your email address, a name for your site, and a password. You can even uncheck the email stay in touch button, and they won't even contact you. Now for two weeks, you've got full access to everything, the 300 Google fonts, the incredible CSS editor, if you like CSS, the blog import and export tools. You're never trapped on a Squarespace site. You can full support for everything, including comments, images, SEO, links, everything through movable type, WordPress, TypePad, or the blogger APIs. In and out. Uh, the editors are great, but they have iOS and Android apps too, which makes it really easy to post and moderate your site. Templates that just don't look templated. Look at the example sites for a better idea of what they can do. And then you've got to check out the pricing because they've, they've updated their pricing. And this is a heck of a deal. When you buy an annual plan, $8 a month for the basic site, Eight bucks a month. That's hosting, software, everything. And if you want to go all out, a mere 16 bucks a month. This is about a tenth. No, I'm sorry. A one hundredth of what I pay for my web hosting. $16 a month. (laughs) And I don't get unlimited pages, unlimited bandwidth, or unlimited storage. You do with this. Unlimited bandwidth for photos, for video, for traffic. Unlimited storage. I mean, you, we're really cooking here. I want you to try it right now. Squarespace.com. Click the Try It Free button. If you decide to buy, please use the offer code SECURITYNOW5. You'll get 10% off that first purchase. And when you buy an annual plan, you'll also get free domain registration. Offer code SECURITYNOW5. macphotoguy 79 says, can you have multiple blogs, galleries on the same Squarespace site? Absolutely. In fact, the unlimited plan has what we call four audiences. These are password-protected areas of the website. So you could say, um, you know, this group can access this part but not that part. That's a really cool way to make it work. Squarespace, very powerful. You know what? If you've got a question about Squarespace, they've got great 24-7 support. They have the workshops, workshops.squarespace.com. And then you can just try it for free. So why not? Just say, hey, well, let me see how it works for me. Squarespace is... Dot com. You'll find out why more and more people are using Squarespace for professional sites of all kinds. And they even have an hour workshop on getting started with the Squarespace 6 beta, which I'm taking this webs- webinar because I have my new beta up. I'm excited. Squarespace.com. Use the offer code SECURITY now, and the number 5 for the month of May. Steve, questions, questions, questions. Yeah, we've got some great stuff from our listeners. We have a questing audience. They just want to know more, starting with Alan J. Doyle. I think this is a Twitter, because he's at Alan Doyle, from yep. Egan, Minnesota. He says, Steve, if your backed-up data gets a virus, won't your cloud backup also be infected? Do the file-by-file cloud storage solutions have an advantage here?
1: We know, we've never talked about... That question, which yeah I are you think back, is a good backing one.
0: up the virus, backing up the infection,
1: yeah, um the when we've talked about it generically, we've talked about the for example, then if you have backups and you're keeping track of them, then it's necessary clearly, for example, if you're making images of your whole system, you want to to go back to an image which is before your system got infected. Um, hopefully, if you're backing up just your data, you know, documents and so forth, th- those tend to be, you know, more benign. Um, but, I mean, it certainly raises a very good point that, that if, you are, if you are backing up contaminated files or, you know, doing whole system backups, then, uh, you know, Alan's point is right. You're backing up indiscriminately all of your files and that means you're saving viruses and malware along with everything else. So, so again, I mean, the only, the only thing you can do is as keep your defenses up, be aware of the danger and, and maybe be a little bit better with, I mean, compensate for this fundamental problem by, by, by not discarding older, instances of your system when it was in a known good state. the, you know, the downside of restoring from something older is there'll there'll be a lot more changes to your system since then. So, you know, you're resetting the clock back to that point. So, the stuff you have done that you wish you could keep gets lost. And you know, and it can end up being like a sort of a hybrid where you you take a snapshot of your diseased system so that you can you at least have all the things that you've done, even though they include things you you don't want to have, like malware, then you restore from the the most recent known uninfected image, which puts you back in time, then you, you then you carefully bring the things from your infected image file by file you know, back over your documents and maybe your email, if you trust that and so forth, in order to, you know, but again, own the stuff you need. I mean, it, it, doing this does give you an opportunity to, you know, do some spring cleaning too. I mean, every time I'm setting up a new system from scratch, and I'm sure you've had this, Leo, you know, because you're as much of a, ooh, I'll, l- let me try and use that <laughs> utility as anyone, oh, as God. I am. Yeah,
0: constantly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so setting up a new system is always a chance to say, okay, now I'm not going to install all that crazy stuff that I installed last time. Of course, we just end up with new crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, but, I mean, da- but, in general, though, backups. If you're backing up data, um, you're, you're you know, it, uh, data by its as as we've said many times, you have to yeah. execute a bag has to execute something. Right, and the, and w- where data gets you in trouble is where you know you have a Adobe Reader or or some other. You know uh, the, the 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 remember that that JPEG meta file yeah, uh, issue yeah, on yeah. Windows. So the thing that reads the data file itself has a flaw, and then bat, you know you could create mal you can craft malware laden data files that activate. But that requires you know you to have an application that's also got a hole in it. So data by itself well, uh, which, is generally
1: okay, right? And that reminds me that when you do restore from an older Get the latest image versions of your apps. well and the updates security updates exactly you want to immediately bring your system current so that it's got its guard up to to whatever degree possible
0: i frequently on the on the radio show we'll talk about this and i always say you know use a genuine install disk install windows and then the very first thing you do is run windows update and until you can update no longer
1: i know over and over and and over
0: over till there's no more updating to be done Updates of the updates yeah, of the yeah. updates, and I yep. also say, don't install stuff if you don't know you need it, because uh, people always you know, say, oh, I'm going to put all my 500 programs back on now, this is a real opportunity oh. not to yep. do that right Spring cleaning, spring cleaning, and uh, you know things like shockwave every every app has potentially has the, the uh, you know brings with it a problem, so don't install it unless you know you need it. Yes okay, continuing on, where did I put it? I cl- oh, shoot i cl- i closed the uh, questions let me let me reopen those questions thank goodness for open recent here we go question 2 alvaro 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 i'm going to say Alver, alvaro stevenson in Monterey, mexico i'm sure i'm butchering your name and i apologize how to tell if your home router's buffer is too big the buffer bloat problem steve i joined an online game server with a 60-millisecond ping, then I transferred a big file between two computers in my home network, and my ping increased to 200 milliseconds after the transfer back down to 60. Does this mean my home router's buffer can add up to 140 milliseconds of latency? Love the show. Alvaro Stevenson, what do you say?
1: Well, I would say yes and no. Um, the, the real test that you need to use, and this test doesn't do that, is you need to use the the buffer that you're sharing ah. with with what you want to test, and a number of people have asked, so I thought this was a very good point. The you know when when you're when you're transferring between two machines on your home network, it's not going that data you're transferring is not going out through it, it may be passing through your router, but it's not going through the the buffer out to the internet and that's the key because it's remember that the 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 whole glitch here is where you have a a change in bandwidth nobody's upstream bandwidth is as high as their inter is their own intranet bandwidth we're all running you know 100 megabits probably inside our own home networks, but substantially less than that. So it's, it's where you transition from the high bandwidth to the low bandwidth that creates a pinch point, And then the buffer is there in order to, you know, just, just keep from just throwing away everything that won't be able to run at that lower speed. So, so to do the test, um, it's necessary that, you know, what people are doing and, and successfully would be to like, check the ping time, then download something big f- from the internet, you know, like one of our podcasts. And while it's coming down, try to ping that your your game server. There you're going to see the real effect of the buffer bloat. And I'll bet it's way more than 140 milliseconds.
0: Oh, or run Netalyzer. Yep, that too. I mean, that's basically what the Netalyzer uh, is doing, right, is... Uh...
1: Is, yeah, uh, although I like the idea of like, you know, cuz I know it. that yeah. I know yeah. that gamers are all, you know, hopped up about their ping time, right. you know, because they they see that as, you know, the interactiveness of their online gaming. They they want, you know, not get penalized for for latency in the, in in the connection. So, um th- so this is a way of like doing a test that you're familiar with, which is, you know, game server ping time and exacerbating that problem by by simultaneously downloading something and, and seeing how bad it gets, and uh, looks like we're going to have a solution for that one of these days.
0: We've, boy, I tell you, we've had great results. I'm now getting all the hosts to run Netalyzer just to see what's going on in their network, and it's been really useful. Eight. Um, if you Google ICSI, it's at University of California at Berkeley's Computer Science uh, Institute, ICSI, and Netalyzer is N E T A L Y Z R. So. <laughs> So I wish people wouldn't use kind of an unconventional spellings because
1: I wonder if they had to fit it into eight characters because they're still using DOS. Oh, uh, maybe that's why.
0: Because if you yeah. just spelled it right, then we would, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't have to spell it all the time. To sell I C S I and Netalyzer. Let's go to Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Susan Kennedy lives there, and she wants to know about T N O level security password protection. Stephen Leo. Longtime fan, Leo from the Screensavers Tech TV, Steve from much earlier on GRC.com. So I was thrilled to find the Security Now podcast. I can't catch the live feed, but I never miss a show. My question has to do with trust no one, TNO-level password security. What if the encryption key for my cloud data resided on a corrupted section, a corrupted section of my storage provider's disk? Would I lose all my data even if I remember the password correctly? Thanks for a great show, Susan.
1: Well, you know, this is a, a, a nice question about maybe a bigger problem, which is, which again, we've never talked about. We sort of assume that nothing can ever go wrong with our data <laughs> not after so. we've sent it off somewhere. <laughs> oh, is that not so? And remember, uh, one of the funniest things from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was when Art, uh, Arthur Dent and Zafod and, and their little crew landed in the middle of a, of a rugby match, I think it was. Like, landed their spaceship right in the middle of a rugby field with a match ongoing. And Arthur was really upset. He said, wait a minute, we just can't land here. And, and Zafod said, sure, we can. Uh, and he said, we just turn on the SCP field. And Arthur said, what? And that's somebody else's problem field.
0: Where, <laughs> I don't remember that. That's funny.
1: Oh, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and, and Arthur said, what are you talking about? And Zaffron said, well, go try to look at the ship. And Arthur explains that when he his, his gaze just sort of slid off of it, he wasn't able to really lock on it. It's someone else's problem. And it's somebody else's problem. <laughs> uh, that anyway, is funny. <laughs> isn't that great? Yeah, so oh, wow. it just it was a field that just told your brain that well, whatever that is, it's somebody else's problem. Somebody else's. And, and the problem is that we would like to believe that when we send our precious data off to the cloud, now it's no longer our problem, it's somebody else's problem. <laughs> um problem is they can drop the ball. They yeah. can have corruption and sure. so forth. And I'm sure their license agreements and their stuff say are, we'll make best efforts, but you know, you're trusting you know, all them. We, all we can do is all we can do, right. you know? And one of the reasons I like the larger guys like Amazon is they've got the clout right. to do redundant storage across multiple uh, data centers so that, you know, any two can go down in the Amazon's case and you still have your data. Um, smaller guys are are going to give you you know the, again the best job they can, but it's it's still important. So so does an- to answer Susan's question, yes. If if there was corruption there, that's still a problem. So my feeling is, you that that's part of your backup strategy, but you do not rely on it exclusively. You know, uh, external drives, network attached storage. These things have become inexpensive enough that that. They're still a good thing to use, even if or even though you're still trying to make your data back up somebody else's problem. You're only safe if it's still a little bit your problem.
0: You know, it happened to Carbonite uh, some years ago. They're one of our sponsors. We talk about them all the time. Um, They bought some Promise um, hard drive controllers and of course, they used raid and the redundancy and so forth, but they were small at the time, and they I don't think they had multiple data centers, and these controllers corrupted all the data Ooh. and uh, I think they actually sued them, they sued promise over this whole thing. Um, uh, most people, I think were able to get their data back because they discovered the problem. you know it was only people who you know didn't have who who had a crash in the period of time between when the problem happened and when they
1: fixed it. And you know what it was, Leo, I do know what it was. What? Uh, it was the very very early days of SATA. Yeah, the the yeah. very early SATA drives and controllers weren't quite synchronized oh, in the way they wow. talked, and there were some early problems that came up. I remember Promise was ha- was having a problem with their SATA controllers.
0: It was very uh, very upsetting. I know to uh, David at Carbonite, he's the guy, the founder, uh, and they have since made sure that that could never happen again. So in some ways, you know, the good thing about carbonite is it did happen. And, uh, and that's always, you know, it's the same thing with backup. You don't really take it seriously till you lose Fool everything. Fool me once. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So it does happen. Uh, we do trust them. I think uh, that's, that's, you know, that's, that is certainly something to be aware of. I think that's a great, a great question. Tom Palladino in Comac, New York, suggests some poor man's backup solutions. Thanks for the great podcast for all the various cloud backup solutions on Security Now 349. I want to point out there are a few services that can be used for free in what I call a poor man's solution. SugarSync, he uses that for all his documents. Uh, And like SugarSync, like a lot of these offers the first few gigs free, in SugarSync's case, five gigs. He says that's more than enough for simple document data. However, for most users, a large portion of their data is comprised of music, images, and videos. It's a lot more than five gigs. Fortunately, Google has three services That could provide free online storage for all of these. Google Picasa will let you sync images to the cloud and now has unlimited file storage for images. I didn't know that. I pay for extra storage on Picasa, so that's good to know. Google Play, formerly Google Music, has a sync client that pushes all of your music to the cloud and allows you to download your entire library back to a local PC if you need to. That's free for, I think, 25,000 titles. And lastly, YouTube now allows HD video uploads longer than 15 minutes, allowing users to upload their important family videos online for free. It's important to note that both Picasa and YouTube can be set to private if you don't want to share those, as you probably wouldn't if they're family videos. Thanks for a great podcast. Tom Palladino, Comac, New
1: York. So I thought this was very clever, and it really does make sense. Uh, And I wanted your own experience and opinions, if you had any, uh, with those services, because I don't. But I like the idea of recognizing that that the exactly as Tom said, the things that we create are documents are and are small yeah. relative to this explosion that we've had in the size of media, which everyone's having fun with. But boy, is it big. And so rather than trying to have one solution where one class of your backup media is essentially forcing you into expensive data plans. Tom's idea is a great one. Yeah. It's like, hey, if you've got free photo upload for Picasa, put them up there. And, and you know, that, that that is, segregate this a little bit. It's a little more work. It's not everything in one place, but it makes a lot of sense.
0: I, I agree completely. I think you're making a mistake if you're backing up. You've talked about this. These large media files, like ripped DVDs to a backup service, that's nuts. Yeah. Don't do it. That's crazy. Um, and, and, and as it turns out, mo- when people say, oh I have a you know, 500 gigabytes of backup, most of that is stuff you don't really need to make a copy of. you know <laughs> I can't believe that you have 500 gigabytes of financial records or you know those kinds of things. Fo- there are a lot of services that offer free photo storage. Um, Google Drive now is five gigs for free and it's very cheap to buy more. Um, I have 200 gigs on Google uh, and I use that all, uh, for everything. So yeah, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of good solutions. I don't think you have to. Uh, it's really more of a question of how how complicated you want to make it uh, and how automatic it is and that kind of thing. Yep, lots of lots of good solutions. I mean, the cloud is coming big time. I mean, if you use Apple uh, stuff, you might just use iCloud. It's not cheap. You uh, they, they they seem to charge an. All- I think it's fifty bucks for twenty five gigs a year and hundred bucks for fifty gigs a year which is a little much if you ask me, but Gregory (laughs) McGregor, a nice Scottish name. Guess where he is? He's in Spain. Gregory McGregor wonders, why is Arm better than X... No, wait a minute. That's not the right one. Did I jump ahead? Yes, it is. Why is Arm better than X8664 for mobile devices? Steve, it's not a security question, but since you're the geekiest person I know on Leo's network, I'd love to know if you could answer this. Ever since non-X86 tablets started showing up in the past few years, I've wondered, what is it that makes the ARM architecture the one to consider for mobile products in the future? I know they give great performance per watt, but I've never known if that's by design or if it's just that X86 isn't efficient enough today. Why am I asking this? Well, Windows 8 is just around the corner, and I wonder if it makes any sense to invest in an ARM tablet giving the legacy hardware and software I can use with an x86 tablet. Is there a chance the x86, x64 architecture could eventually match ARM's mobile-friendly specs, or do we really have to choose between mobile and legacy support? Tough choice. Thanks for the show. You rock.
1: So, okay. Um, first of all, I would point Gregory at a really fun series that, that we did. You'll remember, Leo about uh designing computers from first principles where we started from scratch and looked at how computers work and one of the things we talked about was cisc that is cisc complex instruction set computers versus risc reduced ins- instruction set computers and an arm is which stands for advanced risk machine um although it used to stand for acorn uh i like the new name better uh it it is a risk architecture and essentially the designers um in england who put this together were were essentially like a mom and pop shop i mean they were just some some not they weren't like Intel or Fairchild or Texas Instruments or anything they were just some guys who said gee you know we've been using the 6502 and it's cheaper than the 8088 or the 8080 rather um because it's got like so many fewer gates and so it's a smaller die um and it was easier to design and so they just sort of said and, and they weren't able to get a chip they wanted, so they designed one. And they designed a simple one. And they decided we're going we're gonna to make it simple, and then we'll put the complexity in the software rather than in the hardware. Well, Intel's path was different. Intel began with a, an, an, a complex sort of traditional mainframe instruction set in a small with a small bit length, namely an 8-bit microprocessor, but with an inherently complex instruction set. So it was very mainframe-ish. And then they extended its size, and it got increasingly complex as they went. And, and now they're to the point where, you know, they desperately wish that they could keep instruction set compatibility with a simpler design, but they can't. They've, they've. I mean, you can imagine that the engineering effort that they've put in to trying to compete with this ARM chip, which just whizzes by them in terms of performance and power consumption. So the answer is, you know, I've sort of summarized what we discussed in great and I think really interesting detail back in those computer architecture podcasts. So Gregory and anybody else who hasn't heard those, I'd really recommend you go back and, and look at them. They're all at grc.com slash SN, um, where you can find them. There, there's a search there. Thanks to Elaine's transcripts, you can, you know, put in, like, computer architecture probably, and, and you'll find them. I don't remember what batch of, of weeks they were in that, that Leo and I did these. But um, essentially, it's the, the, what matters is transistor count. Transistors burn power. And due to the way ARM started and has to their credit remained, there are many fewer transistors needed to run their instructions than Intel needs to run theirs. And so the ARM dies are smaller, there are fewer transistors, they, they run more efficiently. Um everything about it is just it turned out coincidentally, to be what made sense in a battery-powered device. And Intel, uh, I don't know if they, if, how they could get around this, how they could, I mean, you know, if they could, they would have. And so I, I think that's just a, a fundamental legacy difference that Intel is stuck with.
0: It isn't actually by accident because ARM, uh, Apple put a huge investment into ARM because they were t- developing processors for the Newton and so it isn't actually by accident. It's intentional. ARMS were always intended for mobile uh, devices, ARM processors. Um, Intel has tried to do uh, these scale oh. processors. These, they're trying to do low-power processors. They even have some. They, they they realize they're missing out on a huge growth area with mobile. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, well, and, and Windows, when they decided to put Windows 8 on tablets, they didn't yes. make it an x86. They rewrote it for ARM. It's Windows on ARM or Windows RT. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that the legacy issue comes from the fact that Microsoft has kind of unilaterally decided that if you're going to write software for uh, the uh, tablets, uh, that it's got to be Metro style. And only only Microsoft has its actual office style uh, stuff on tablets and uh, desktop. So I don't, you know, we'll have to ask Paul about that. I, my suspicion is uh, in time you'll be able to do... Um, a lot of the legacy stuff
1: it'll be interesting to see windows on arm that is <laughs> you know it'll help us to understand right the difference what's yeah yes right. exactly what's the slow part right. is it the x86 slash 64 or is it the windowsness right which is you know like does, does does android on an arm tablet how does its performance compare to windows on the right. same hardware
0: yeah, the uh, yeah. We'll yeah be able very, to I don't it. know what the status is of uh, Intel's X scale uh, solution. I mean, they're really hoping, I'm sure, to get a mobile part out there. Interesting. Yeah, the they're is, able to get the die sizes down so low now. I mean, the, you know, th- with, with Ivy Bridge and so forth.
1: I, I wonder. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you can engineer around the architecture. What they're doing is they're they're like stalling. You know, they're stopping the processor and trying not to have right, it run speed step and all that. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and and you know. So, but when it does run, it just gives, it says, "Give me a larger straw, because I need to suck more juice out of your battery." It's Actually, like, well,
0: interesting. Yeah, I just looking up Xscale, which is Intel's uh, mobile part. It's based on the ARM architecture. <laughs> so never mind. <laughs> uh, I think ARM one. Uh, wow, that's really interesting. I who would have thought Intel would use uh, ARM? Uh, Moving along to question six, Bill Schwartz and Quincy, Mass. A huge Spider Oak disadvantage. I've confirmed with Spider Oak support, which was excellent, that they provide no means for maintaining privacy between different users or different computers on a single account. All users and all machines must share an encryption password. So if, say, two household members share a 100 gigabyte Spider Oak account, all privacy between them is annihilated for all files placed on the Spider Oak network. Moreover, each household member then absolutely depends on all the others to keep the common encryption key safe and private. One slip by one person comprises, compromises everyone's data. This will be a big disadvantage for many people. I don't think so, but Spider Oak told me, I mean, come on, Really? <laughs> spider oak told me their forthcoming enterprise solution of course will offer such intra account privacy but at a higher cost they also told me this feature would be implemented on the non enterprise side as well but not anytime soon for now the only answer is for each household member to have his or her own account which means multiplying costs and since most users will probably never need anywhere near the full 100 gig on the minimum paid plan this will be a very big price disadvantage for spider oak it's too bad everything else about spider oak seems great to me so far this is not a problem at all with Jungle Disk, my current cloud provider. As an aside, I have been feeling that Jungle Disk has absolutely lost the magic it once had since Jungle Dave sold and then left the company. They had as many problems, including massive overfilling for months and months that took forever for them to solve. Their app is still not completely compatible with OS 10 Lion. I'd love to find an alternative to Jungle Disk. Thanks for the great review. Hope this helps. I've been using Arc on your recommendation, Steve, and I uh, I think this is a good alternative. Yeah, I, I do too. I for, for,
1: for on the Mac side. Yeah, on the Mac
0: side. Yeah.
1: Oh, and it does sound like because he's talking about OS X Lion. It sounds like he's yeah. um, uh, also a I think Mac Arc user. Arc is an
0: excellent alternative to Jungle Disk if you're on uh, OS X. Yep.
1: Yep. Now uh, I, I, I'm with you, Leo. I'm. I wanted to bring it up and like highlight the issue because that's a good one. Maybe. And you know, our listeners' individual usage patterns. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if if you had you know crazy teenager who you know like Henry who was you know sharing your account and had to have all your keys and you were really storing super confidential stuff I you you know you probably don't have that kind of data but I know I could imagine if I was depending upon a service like this for for encrypting you know the keys to my kingdom uh, frankly I'd just spring for a separate account and let you know and let let other people use a different account than mine as opposed to int- int- intending to share it. But it's it's a good... Or I mean, use I think TrueCrypt it's a, or something. I mean, you... Right. 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 Exactly. Or, or use one of these, as we covered last week, use a hybrid solution where where you separately encrypt your own stuff right. and drop it into the family shared folder um, so you're safe in any event. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and they do offer free accounts of, uh, what is it, two gigs. Uh, so maybe maybe give your teenager the two gigs and then uh, you don't have to worry about it. Get a two gig account. Uh, moving uh, right along here, which we'll do as soon as I reopen. Why do I keep closing this window? <laughs> Question number seven. Rick in Rhode Island. He thinks you're wrong, Steve. You're wrong about Java. I have been. <laughs> I don't know the details of cloud software using Java, but your dismissal of Java so quickly seems misplaced. There are plenty of standalone, not-browser-embedded applications built using Java, and I don't think they are any less secure than native applications. Well, that's true. It would Uh be good if you could elaborate on how these cloud apps run browser versus standalone. One reason standalone apps are written in Java is portability, and it
1: works very well in that respect. So I completely agree yeah. with Rick that, that in that mode, it makes sense. I did have a couple tweets from people who said, yes, Steve, you know, I, I guess I can understand your position on Java, but I'm a Linux user and, you know, we're not Windows or Mac. And so, we're, you know, we're often the stepchild that doesn't get the attention that the big platforms do when they're written in Java because Java creates cross-platform compatibility we're able to use those solutions. And I think that's a very good point. I mean, as opposed to not being able to use them. My, my complaint was different than that, though. It was that, if, that I don't like the idea of requiring a user to install Java just to run a backup client. If you're a commercial enterprise making money from people, selling them your client sell them a native client for their platform. These things are not hard to write or create. I mean, that's why there's a billion of them, is that they're not not like it's rocket science. Everyone's creating them. But my feeling is, wow, you know, I'd like to have one written for Windows that doesn't force me to be running Java. And we have seen problems with memory management in, in Java clients taking up, you know, half a gig of memory. Other people report that they don't have that problem. But, you know, if you're writing... I guess my sense is if you're creating a commercial application for a platform, it's just not difficult to develop for that platform. You know, if it's freeware, eh, then you kind of get what you don't pay for. And I would say the like- most
0: widely used Java app right out there right now is a game called Minecraft. Yeah, And um, it's written... A shirt I
1: apparently wear. You wear that moment. shirt.
0: Yeah. You have a diamond block shirt. Uh, and Minecraft is run by millions and millions of people and you have to have java to run it. Um, actually yeah. come to think of it the Citrix products also run in java. So but his well, point is well taken which is a java app you know application is no less or more actually maybe more secure than in a standalone application because of some of the built-in sandboxing features of java.
1: Yep. Yep. And you know I like I said when I saw that is Netalyzer in Java, baby. Is in Java. Yeah. I thought, oh, if you can do that in Java, then you know, I need to keep that on my radar because that could be very useful for solving the sure. you know, my own lack of cross platform software development. Java's
0: awesome. I think your point and what you've always said is if you don't need it, uninstall it. There's no reason to have it like Shockwave. If you don't need it, don't don't install it because of the security issues. Right.
1: Charles yes. but be, be, yeah because, because your browser will run Java things right and Automatically. Well, I mean, that's how 600,000 Mac people got infected right
0: I think I bet I'm just gonna I'm pretty sure. I know you can say disable JavaScript. I'm pretty sure that the browser will also let you disable Java. so that would be the other
1: thing to go into Well the- remember the new I, the new uh, update from Apple, preemptively disables java right it shuts it down and, and then if you turn it on and you don't keep using it it shuts it down again i have on my safari on my os 10
0: system enable java unchecked so you yep. can have java on your system just don't let the browser invoke it right that would be good too right
1: yep really good and, and that's what apple has done is that yeah, they're turning smart. it off for you and keeping it off yeah and
0: what chrome does is they say each time they ask you do you want to allow this to run? Right. Um, I see that all the time because uh, whenever I run, uh, whenever I do go to meeting, go to one of the reasons go to meeting. I think uses Java is because it's compact, and they download a new copy every single time to make sure you have the latest version. And so nice. I see that allow uh, thing every time I run GoToMeeting. go to meeting. It's fine. Yeah. You say yeah, yeah. I wanted to run go to meeting. No problem. Charles Hill, Washington D.C. A, a defensive back Steve, I'm listening to your retelling of your email conversation with the CEO of Backblaze. I can't help but think you were missing a critical point he was trying to make. I'm referring to their, quote, user-provided private key, end quote, method only. You're saying that since the key is given to Backblaze and they decrypt the user's data on their server, it isn't TNO, Because you have to trust Backblaze in that instance. Well, I don't disagree with that. But what the BB CEO, the Backblaze CEO is saying is also valid. There is no such thing as TNO with an integrated solution. So what's the issue? That is, when you say if they were to do the N or decryption on the user PC, it would be TNO because only the user would have the key in plain text. His point, I think you might have missed it, is if you're using software provided by the client, whether it's Backblaze, Spider Oak, or something else, you're trusting their client software is doing only what it claims to do. In other words, not sending back the data, you know, secretly or storing it somehow. All Backblaze is doing is shifting the point of trust from the client software to the server side. The issue of trusting the third party exists regardless. So your suggestion that changing their architecture to just decrypt on the client isn't a solution. You still have to trust their client software. The CEO of Backblaze's point was just that. You're just kidding yourself with TNO with an integrated service, so why not just be honest about it and trust them? The only true TNO solution that I've been able to come up with is to separate the encryption out from the storage. Personally, I just have a cron job, tar, gzip up my new files every week, run it through GNU PG to encrypt it, then FTP it up to an Amazon S3 account. Signatures are kept locally. It's a bit geeky, but it works for me, or am I totally off base?
1: Well... I certainly see his point. Um, My concern, and I know the concern, of listeners who want TNO is that it's not TNO. And their documentation makes it sound like it is, but it isn't. And we do know because it comes up all the time that our government is able to subpoena records of companies in fact i i forgot to put it in the news this week but i tweeted it it was it was late last week Le. you may you may have seen it the fb the story about the fbi proposing legislation to oh yeah CISPA. Force, yeah yes force force social networking and other websites to build in monitoring <laughs> technology <laughs> yeah i mean so this is not made up. And, you know, and, and, and Gleb Budman, who I exchanged email with, the, the CEO and co-founder of Backblaze, who is a really nice guy, you know, he said, we've never been served with that kind of requirement. Well, well that's a shock. If they were, they couldn't say. I mean, he right. would have to deny it. Right. He, would, he would have to say that. And right. I just, the, 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 the point is the architecture could be secure. Other people do it. These people didn't, and they really didn't say that. I mean, they said the other, and so that's my concern. It's the, it's like, yeah, this works. I'm sure it's fine, but it's not trust no one because they've got the keys, and by definition, that just doesn't do it. But his you know, point
0: they, is well taken that when you run somebody's client software on your system,
1: th- that you software trusting? could
0: be malcrafted in such a way that uh, that it could be stealing data. You don't know that.
1: And I actually do like. I mean, he made the he made the distinction of an integrated solution. Most people, ninety nine point nine nine percent, want that. But that's where you know I like the solution I'm using of using an, a you know a grandfather Jungle Disk account and S three Amazon is my storage provider. Jungle Disk is my encryption provider. They're not they're not in in cahoots anyway. They're you know they're it they're they're separable actions. And, of course, his, as he says, geeky solution is a, is that to an extreme where he's got a, you know, a cron job that runs a script that, yeah. that you yeah. know, TARS <laughs> and GZIPS and encrypts and FTPs, you know, blah, blah. I mean, but, but it works. There's absolute security because he only has to trust himself. You know, he right. knows all these little pieces. Don't, you know, there's no way that they can be collaborating. Moving along to question
0: nine from Sean Chant, Sean Chant in H in Glendale, California. Does the government have a master encryption key? Well, this is fits right into that wiretap story. How's it going, Steve? I'm a computer science student, long-time listener to the show. This week in one of my classes, the professor announced to the class that all 128-bit encryption can be cracked by the U.S. government because they have a master key. Wow. What, <laughs> school, what
1: school is this? <laughs> I know. Glendale. It's Glendale. Not, 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 not like it's out in the sticks mm. anymore.
0: Now, being an avid listener to the show, I am 99.99999% sure that this is untrue. As far as my understanding goes, the math only allows a single unique key to decrypt the message. Therefore, there can't be a master key to decrypt the message. I think my argument in class will be weighted with your backing. Thanks for the great show, Sean.
1: Well, Shant, I don't want you to get in trouble with your professor by he's, calling him an idiot. He's an idiot. Uh, he's an idiot. <laughs> I mean the the and the, I wouldn't trust see, anything else he says after this. Yeah, that's a real worry. Um, okay, so the reason Leo and I can be so sure—I mean, I love the fact that we can be so sure—it's because all of this is open. See, it's this is this is the the, the beauty of the open development, open academic process that encryption always enjoys is we know exactly how AES works. We've done a podcast on it. We've looked at it. It's been pounded on. It was. It's the result of a competition among a, a bunch of all really good, strong crypto. And for a number of, of, of reasons— Sort of a compromise between how much power it used and how complex it was, and whether it was, you know, all this criteria that they used, it was chosen. So I, I just, I love the certainty with which we're able to say, no, there's not such, I mean, it's ridiculous, patently ridiculous. We, because, and we only able to say that because we absolutely know it has not always been this way. You'll remember, Leo, the the, the days of the clipper chip, which was, you know, sort Out of a. Gore, baby government sponsored secret yep. crypto that no one knew what was inside and nobody used like, oh, <laughs> because exactly. there was a back door exactly <laughs> so maybe this professor is is confused although the clipper chip was not 128 bit encryption because it was too long ago for 128 bit to be used commonly probably 64 back in the DES era 48 even maybe maybe yeah, yeah but i mean oh goodness no the the beauty is Contemporary encryption is completely open. It's what I love about it, and and that's why when a when a an encryption technology, you know, an, an encryption company says we're doing this, 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 and this. Here's our diagram. This, this is what we're doing. I mean, we know what the blocks do. We know when you connect them together, following standard practices, that you're going to get. A strong you know a, a, a provably secure result as far as anyone knows, and we, all, we have to throw that caveat in because something could catch us out, but you know as well as we know this is what it's going to do and how it's going to work it's it's I love that aspect of, of crypto <laughs> it makes for great podcasts me too
0: and it's why I like yeah. open source and recommend open source crypto solutions above all others because you know you can verify that it works that it doesn't have any back doors. Yeah. And I would
1: say open algorithm to, to take a open step back. Open algorithm,
0: I agree, yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, you, you know, most people may not look at the bits, and mistakes can be made in algorithms. Sure. But, you know, again, it, it's a – As we know with, with WEP. Yes, exactly. Um, I just hope this guy's a, a professor of,
0: of you know, philosophy, not computer science. That's all I can say. Yeah, I, I just hope he's not a computer science professor because that would be yeah, well, really depressing. Yeah, well, so
1: so so flipper Sean, chip was
0: eighty bit. Says, consider it in the uh, chat
1: room. uh you know, tell your classmates the truth, but you know, don't get in trouble. I don't want to. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, you could pass notes. <laughs> yeah. Last question, Tom
0: Harnett, St. Louis, Moo, commenting about the forthcoming NSA facility in Utah. Get ready for this. I've heard you discuss before that there are no shortcuts possessed by the government for cracking encryption. I agree. However, I thought I'd pass along this article. Nonetheless, a paragraph in it caught my eye. The $2 billion facility, slated to be complete by September 2013, is allegedly designed to be able to filter through yottabytes That's 10 to the 24th bytes of data put into perspective that's greater than the estimated total of all human knowledge since the dawn of mankind. If leaked information about the complex is correct, nothing will be safe from the facility's reach, from cell phone communications to emails to what you just bought with your credit card. And encryption won't protect you. One of the facility's priorities is breaking even the most complex of codes.
1: Hmm. oh leo that is my favorite voice you have ever done oh say goodbye to australia that was that's my walter cronkite oh my oh we're gonna bring that out from time to time oh i just oh goodness that's one for the record so what do you what do you say? Oh, thank you oh. steve thank you what do you say to this i just i want to hear it again ah. The $2 um, billion dollar facility. <laughs> okay, so I completely agree with the designed to be able to filter through yottabytes of data. Absolutely. We know that that that's the main focus. And the fact is, so much today is not encrypted that... Huge amounts of value can be found in the clear, in plain text, in all these yottabytes. You know, they're going to have to have some amazing indexing and organization system to deal with all this. But that's what they've got this big facility for. Um, the idea, though, that there's some, you know, magic secret to decryption. You know, it says an encryption and encryption won't protect you. One of the facility's priorities is breaking even the most complex codes. Well, I agree that that's what its priority is. I mean, <laughs> doesn't it's, mean they can do it. No, it's the dream of the NSA and the FBI and the CIA to be able to cut through encryption like butter, so that it doesn't impede their investigations. And I, I don't. That's why they're
0: asking for a back door, by the way,
1: in Skype and everything else, because they can't. Right. Right. There is, you know, we, we we've talked about, you know, true crypto drives being sent from South America up to the U.S. law enforcement, you know, to see if the FBI could crack it. And unfortunately, they were I mean, well, OK, whether it's unfortunate or not, I can't comment, but they weren't able to crack it because the crypto holds. The crypto is absolute at, at this point. So, yes, um, I mean, the. The only danger on the far horizon is potentially, you know, the 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 myth of, you know, the the allure of quantum computing, where the theory is it simultaneously tries all keys at once, which just melts crypto. It's just over. But we, you know, we're a long way away from that. So uh, I'm not worried and, and and we ought not be. I'm not worried about Utah. Um, they, I mean, they'll, they'll basically, they want to feed every possible communication channel that they can find. You know, through exactly. the equivalent of of you know, remember the the wonderful movie uh Colossus: The forbin Project, which actually is being remade by the Love way. Love that gonna, movie. We're gonna. I've watched it many oh, times. Oh, what a
0: great movie! I'm glad it's being remade. It it could stand yeah. to be a little updated. Yeah, it really could. So it would be great. I, I'm, I'm not going to say anything, but uh, somebody I know very well was approached by the federal government to help write <laughs> something that would go through data and find keywords. Uh, in fact, we know pretty well that Echelon exists. The feder- the U.S. government's never admitted to it, but the British have. And all Echelon is is exactly this. And this is what the NSA does. They monitor electronic transmissions. Unencrypted electronic transitions. I'm sure they store encrypted transitions, transmissions, but I don't know if they can do anything with them. If they're properly encrypted, they can't. Oh, uh, and this and the roof looks so cool. With all the, <laughs> I haven't seen the roof.
1: Oh, well, with all those, with all and those tennis. big dishes, with all those big dish antennas pointing in every direction. But it's if like, anything,
0: oh, this should oh, argue oh. for people using encryption, using strong encryption, because if you don't. Then you know that everything you say and do electronically, including email, telephone, cell phone, you know, everything is being monitored by the NSA. And they do, key, you know, you, I, I don't know what the keywords are, but I'm sure if you said, you know, a few choice phrases about uh, Uncle Sam and uh, explosives, you probably get flagged. And, um, and that's what they do. That's what they're doing. The, there's so much encrypted trans, transmission now that they probably, you know, wouldn't even have time to decrypt it.
1: Well, and there have got to be taps on major backbones of the Internet. So oh, in terms yes. of you know communication, so like everything that crosses through anywhere that they're able to install a tap, they've got – I mean, I feel sorry for their Yoda byte computers – all the garbage. I mean, all the nonsense. Think of all the crap they're All getting. the tweets and the Facebook postings. And it's like, oh, you wrote on my wall. And oh, it's like, okay, yeah. well, yeah. good luck with that, you know, NSA. Yeah.
0: This is a picture of the uh, of the actual uh, building in uh, Utah. Um, Ooh, look at that lighting. Nice lighting. The country's biggest <laughs> spy center. <laughs> I understand why people are nervous. If you want to protect your privacy, what you should be doing is make sure that you let your member of Congress know that the FBI, NSA, CIA request to put back doors into things like Skype and Facebook yep. be denied. Yep. Because that's, you know, really that's what they're saying is, look, we can't decrypt Skype.
1: So we would like you to put a back door in it so that we can wiretap it. It's like the problem that RIM had. We talked about RIM's problem over in the Far East often right. last year because there was such a brouhaha about about the, the 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 foreign governments demanding that their blackberry using citizens could be spied on yeah and by the, the way the technology just isn't there the
0: contractors building this building have to have top secret security clearances <laughs> yeah because they've got special tile uh, good, good. Flowing through its servers, according to Wired's threat level blog, which we've we love uh will be all forms of communication, including the complete contents of private emails, cell phone calls, Google searches, parking receipts, travel itineraries, bookstore purchases, <laughs> yeah, just everything basically
1: you know we're all electronic now, everything's wired up. And these suckers want to filter through all of that nonsense. I say, good. I say, let them have
0: it. You may remember that the, this was something George uh, Bush wanted. It was called total. Actually, it was. I think it was actually uh, the vice president. Uh, he wanted. To, remember, total. Inf- what was it called? Total information awareness, TIA. Uh, in a, in a fight against terrorism, the problem is when the, when your federal government knows everything. Why limit it to terrorism? Let's go after
1: people with unpaid parking tickets. And unfortunately, there is a history of that, too. There is a history of this stuff being repurposed, you know, with, you know, people believe for the the health of the country, but not everyone believes in what uh, is in agreement about what that means. And that's a problem.
0: Now, let me read you this paragraph, because I'm sure this is where this story comes from. One senior intelligence official who recently, until recently, was involved with the program, says that the Bluffdale Center will have another important and far more secret role. It's critical, he says, for breaking codes. And code breaking is crucial because much of the data that the center will handle, financial information, stock transactions, business deals, foreign, military, and diplomatic secrets, legal documents, confidential personal communications, I <laughs> it's not so confidential, will be heavily encrypted. According to another top official also involved with the program, and this is what I think is bogus, the NSA made an enormous breakthrough several years ago, in its ability to cryptanalyze or break unfathomably complex encryption systems employed not only by governments around the world but also many average computer users in the US Well, I don't, I don't know. Do you think so? Do you
1: think it's credible? We have no way of knowing. We don't we can't what, know. The one thing that I remember from the early reports was that they already have a huge amount of data encrypted using older, weaker codes, for example, 64-bit encryption, and now we have the technology to feasibly crack that. So, you know, they've got communications from, from foreign powers encrypted in the, I mean, old communications encrypted in the then-strongest codes of the, of the time— so what we need to remember is when storage is available, the encryption we use needs to be strong relative to our ability to decrypt th- into the future until a point where it no longer matters. And so my best guess is that they've got way, I mean, 64-bit encryption is, you know, we, we poo-poo it, but it's it was strong then. It's still strong now. We're just staying way ahead of what's feasible by going to 128 and 256, which is, you know, 128 is already really, I mean, that's like, you know, plenty strong.
0: Yeah. In fact, he says a lot of foreign government stuff we've never been able to break is 128 or less. Break all that and you'll find out a lot more of what you didn't know, stuff we've already stored. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So my guess is they're, they're rubbing their hands together about you know bringing this processing power to bear on stuff that's you know a decade or two old there can be really juicy tidbits that are you know sure. still matter in in data that that is you know only that old they've stored it they just couldn't crack it until now right right i think the stuff we're doing today is probably safe yeah. given everything we know
0: and the guy who wrote this article is the author of the shadow factory the ultra secret nsa from 9-11 to the eavesdropping on America, if you want to read more. He has a little bit of an axe to grind. I mean, he wants everybody to get scared. I think, though, that if there's anything, this this would argue for using uh, encryption more, not less. Uh, because they are watching.
1: Yeah, just, are exactly. Watching. Not, not assuming privacy. You, unfortunately, we can no we don't longer have it. do that. Yeah, yep. we don't have it.
0: Uh, if you don't mind if uh, spooks in Utah are uh, reading your mail, no big deal. But if you do,
1: I would I would say public key cryptography with long, you know, uh, twenty forty eight bit public key yeah. and a two fifty six bit symmetric key. That's that, going to be that's going to be fine for a while. Eh, it really is. I hope. I guess um, unless you the, and the I only, are being paid by the
0: federal government to say that.
1: The only breakthrough I could see, Leo, would be if they actually had a factoring breakthrough. Right. That would. It that would, be would be a be
0: mathematical. It would be a breakthrough in mathematical theory, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, see, and the the thing I like about our symmetric crypto is it is so simple. I mean, you know, we did a beautiful podcast on on AES where I explained in detail what that algorithm is, and it's just it's like there's nowhere for bad guys to hide in that algorithm. They're just it's just so clear and clean, and we all know what the vulnerability such as it is of current public key crypto is it's the factoring problem which the smartest people in the country who are in the in the in the private sector have looked at and at private and education and have not been able to crack now maybe the NSA has cracked factoring and if they've cracked factoring then yeah well p- public key crypto at least the standard, you know, RSA style. We there are other types, but but that's then gone. But again, may, maybe <laughs> maybe it's an maybe.
0: interesting idea. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean that that's the vulnerability. Fact factoring is the vulnerability because that's what we all depend on right now. I mean, that's the the that's the Achilles heel, not the symmetric crypto, but the asymmetric crypto. And the reason those keys, the asymmetric crypto keys have to be 1024 or 2048 bits long, is that the actual, the actual strength is not nearly as great as it is with symmetric crypto, where we're, where 128 bit key is fine. We need to have like 10 times that many bits to get the equivalent strength. So that that would be the Achilles heel, you know. And maybe somebody's with his headphones on, listening to us say this right now. They're going, oh shoot, <laughs> <I> figured <laughs> figured it out
0: steve gibson is at grc.com that's where he sells Spinrite, the world's best hard drive and maintenance and recovery utility go there buy Spinrite if you want to leave a question for the next feedback episode grc.com slash feedback his health page is there grc.com slash health his free stuff all sorts of stuff it's a really it's becoming a better bigger resource at all the time for great information steve will be back on sunday 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific, 6 to 5 p.m. Whoops, whoops, 2 to 3. Pacific. 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, to talk to part two of our the, uh, Up and Down the Sugar Hill, Conquering the Sugar Hill uh, series. Um I, I'm looking forward to uh, concluding that. I hope we'll conclude. Maybe not. Maybe this is just becoming an ongoing series. I don't know.
1: Well, the people who like it really love it, but uh, people you know, who hate I, it don't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and there's some in each camp. Uh, 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 I'm loving
0: good. it, and I have to say, I'm, now that I'm, I've got this book, the Rosedale book. I'm very excited. Uh, Steve, we'll talk to you uh, Sunday. And then, of course, again next week when we do a Security Now, every Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1800 UTC. Uh, you can watch live. If you can't see it live, don't worry. We make a audio and video available always after the fact at twit.tv. Steve has 16 kilobit versions available at grc.com as well as transcriptions. So you can consume it in a variety of ways. Uh, 352 episodes now in the can. Thank you, Steve Gibson. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Leo, Leo. on Security Security Now.